0: episode of the python people podcast with me guy bevington md of true north recruitment group um where we share insights from prominent global technology leaders and uh this week i am honored to be joined by carlos olive carlos um how are you
1: good thank you it's pleasure to be here okay
0: Good. Well, that's nice and very nice of you to say. Um, pleasure to have you on this uh it's a very nice day today, isn't it? It's a nice uh yeah. sunny Friday afternoon, so it gets you in the in the mood. Um but uh, no, it's a pleasure to have you. Thanks very much for being here. And um I guess for those people yet to um have um major acquaintance, um so Carlos, you're the data science manager for Visa. And uh we got chatting a few weeks back and uh just talked about, I guess, how uh, an interesting a challenge it is actually to um, establish a data science strategy and, and form a data science function within a, a multifaceted and huge kind of behemoth um, business like Visa with just a huge. Uh, levels of, of data which aren't necessarily always interconnected and always that obvious so we thought it could be the makings of quite an interesting uh, interesting chat so we decided to let's do your podcast and here we are and the rest is history as they say. So, um, so yeah I guess before we delve into uh, the nitty-gritty and, and start uh, chatting through things um, do you want to give us a bit of an overview of your background, your career to date and uh, ultimately how you've arrived at, at where you are today?
1: Yeah So I'm originally from Guatemala, I'm Latin American. Um, And I started my career in um, overall in in software development, pretty much by accident. I'm an industrial engineer and I applied for an internship at a Pepsi bottler, and I got it. And it was for process automation. What I didn't know is it was not really for process automation in the factory. It was for process automation in all of the backend processes through software solutions. Uh, But I had done coding before and I liked it. So I decided, you know what? It's a great opportunity, great company. Um, And I did my internship there. And then I went on to work with their IT team that became its own company. Um, I worked as an IT consultant for over three years. Got to work a lot more with the bottler as well as with other companies, some airlines, uh, some financial institutions, as well as some uh, fast food restaurants. Um, a lot of what we did was really try to make things easier for people. Try to take away as many steps where, where there were errors, and also migrate from from what you used to have of ugly, gray-looking interfaces that were made for experts in ERP systems on how to input data and how to handle all of that, and rather go into you know what the overall websites are evolving. They're looking nicer. Um, This was back in 2013, so user experience was really kicking in. into how how do we address um, overall the experience and making sure that every journey is useful. Uh, And A lot of companies back home started doing that for their employees, uh, especially in some cases, for example, BPO offices where uh, other companies are outsourcing the services to them. So for them to make sure that all of their processes are seamless, they're easy to do and they're easy to train people to do them. that, that is always key. Along those lines, when we started automating and improving, one of the key questions was, how much are we automating? And where where can we know where to automate next? So we started looking at the data and really gathering insights of where where the bottlenecks? Where can we identify trends of um, specific things that we can take out that are a common enemy for a lot of processes? Um, and that came my interest into working into data science. I moved with one of our clients, one of the BPO offices, because they had a lot of things like this. Um, worked there for a year with projects before coming to London to do a master's in data science. Um, here at UCL in London, um, decided to stay. Uh, I did my dissertation for with forecasting sales for Europe uh, for Coca-Cola, Uh, a coca-cola bottler here in europe that earned me a a lot of nice messages from all my friends at the pepsi bottler back home (laughs) 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 yeah yeah Yeah, probably could
0: return back to guatemala
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah some some people had broken hearts pretty much um you know it's it's a very interesting opportunity i did decide that um once i finished the project that i had already uh worked enough with bottling companies and decided to go into something different uh, and go into the financial space with Visa. Um, and, and it's where I'm now. Started um, as a data science manager just about almost two years ago. Um, and, and it's been a great experience really working with such large amounts of data and in such a mature market for the products such as is the UK. Mm. and at the same time you have challenging markets across Europe for example Germany There is still a very cash-based society uh compared to to other countries really.
0: Mm, absolutely yeah, yeah yeah true it must be uh because I, I know um obviously Visa well, is clearly a global company but I understand that the European element of uh, Visa actually accounts for quite a large portion of, of business doesn't it so it must be quite interesting uh I guess from a level of Data point of view, but obviously, like I say, because different countries, different makeups, different, uh, you know, currencies to a degree. um Yeah, it must be a very interesting uh challenge. To, to talk us through then, since you thanks for that by the way, it's a really interesting story. I'm always always amazed to hear people's stories about how they enter into the world of data science because I guess it's you know it's such a, a relatively newfangled world, isn't it, from a technology point of view? So there's not many. Uh, not many kids that come down to breakfast in the morning yeah yeah mum dad i want to be a, a data scientist you know it's usually kind of uh, astronauts and footballers isn't it but what i love yeah. about the um what i love about the data science world is when people enter into it very often a lot of people without putting words in your mouth are interested to get your thoughts a lot of people feel like they've really found their passion yeah they absolutely love love it and they could never kind of uh, and that's why that's why i personally really enjoy recruiting for this field because you know half the people we uh, we end up placing we know that they would do this as a if if they weren't being paid as a job they'd probably still end up yeah you know, doing it anyway because it's their passion they just really really enjoy doing it so uh, yeah how, how have you you found that kind of yeah you know, your your journey into data science and and what do you what do you love about it
1: um, yeah I mean to be honest I I started working with data science b- before really knowing um, what it was pretty much. So it it was really more around, I think, a year and a half before I came to London into thinking, I want to learn a lot more about this. I want to really not you know just solutions that we find here and there that turn out in, in this direction, mm-hmm. uh, but learn more about it. And it was through that kind of research on what where what's the best masters that can teach me this and finding, okay, you know what, this whole goes into data science and all of these techniques, our machine learning techniques and so on. Um and it's I think overall it's very interesting how you still up to nowadays because for i'm I'm an engineer, for example, so it's it's a thing that you get trained for, and there are you know there is the engineering faculty, and we do the same for doctors, architects and so on it's it's a career that you start in, and yes, you can specialize yourself instead with data science, you find professionals that later on in their careers go into it yes you have mathematicians and statisticians that you know they have all the core concepts from it but i've worked with all sort of different professionals chemists physicists um, um, for example here at visa we have um, some astronomy phd guys um, that yes they, they have been using machine learning for a lot of their analysis that they do obviously we have countless uh, images of the space so in order to do image analysis they have done this kind of work uh, and eventually it just falls into data science, really.
0: Mm, absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing how many uh, different backgrounds do lend. And, and what I like about it as well is because there's no sort of clear-cut background, you know, because it's, it's a rich tapestry, isn't it? A Venn diagram, really, of, you know, computer computer science business domain knowledge and maths and statistical modelling and I guess data science that sort of sweet spot in the middle that sits across all those things and and because people enter into it from different worlds everyone kind of brings a different perspective don't they to it and uh, different strengths uh, and to the table so uh, yeah that's cool so, um, so yeah going back to the point you were making earlier about you know uh, Germany being more of a cash-based country and these sort of different disparities that exist within within Europe and um, talk us through that journey what's it been like to uh, you know kind of work on these types of projects within visa and uh, yeah how have you guys sort of gone about uh, implementing your your data science strategy
1: I think overall from my perspective I think it's and it was a huge learning from working as a consultant you walk in through the door and you have to work in with a, a clear you know a, a blank state of yes you have some knowledge of what this is going to be but come, come into it as an outsider with an outsider perspective and start learning about the situation and try to understand what the pain points are, but at the same time, um, just try to come up with fresh ideas because it happens also in, in any facet of life. As, as an outsider, it's very easy to see problems when, when something's going on. Um, Obviously, you know, it's not a, a one magic solution. That, that is one of the things uh, about data science that often gets mislabeled. It's not like, oh, you know, we're going to start applying data science. It's going to be fixed in three years. Yeah. Um, no, it, if it's things like this that are deeply in, ingrained in society and in culture, it, it is an overall journey of changing them and overall of offering something better, um, increasing the value of what is card better than, than cash. Countries like mine, for example, where crime rates are are much higher, we prefer a card because, it, you know, the cash they can just steal your wallet and take it away. The card, if you still block it, uh, then you're more protected. And if it's a credit card, then you have the insurance and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, con- a lot of countries in Europe, I find, for example, security is not at the top of, of their concern. So a lot of those things, it, it I feel, how it loses value a lot of the times. Um, for example, for me getting a, a text message every time my card gets used is something so standard that I, even when I came here, I was surprised that not all banks offer it. And, mm-hmm. and I understand for someone like me, for example, offers like Monzo Revolut and so on, uh, that the first point being that like real time information on how my card is used, um, it just offers me that sense of security, for example. Um, but then you have more, you know, the, these companies have integrated more into the payment process and that is what what you're supposed to do the benefit of or, you know cards are more convenient over cash because you you don't have to carry all that cash around that has become so common and so expected uh that the maturity of that offer has has expired really and you have to come up with more things you know uh for example now yes we have contactlets for example uh which yes takes some of the process away from paying with card um and now you know paying with your phone or or watch whatever you want it just you're increasing the value of using your product you're increasing the whole experience and that is where we want to come in uh, and use
0: insights to understand where where does that value lie for people mm, absolutely yeah it's a really interesting point isn't it because I think companies seem to get quite a lot out of their data science strategy and, I, and actually and again going back to the point of why I enjoy data science because very often, it's about how the insights can improve customer experience or solve a business problem, and it tends to be those businesses that recognise why they're doing data science in the first place. I what's actually what's the positive impact it's going to actually have on you know outcome X? Um, they tend to be the ones that succeed more so than, like you said actually what's this new data science thing we need to be doing all right let's go and hire a few data scientists and sprinkle some fairy dust over it and hopefully let's see what uh let's see what happens you know those two businesses they do tend to uh uh separate themselves quite often um but with that in mind i mean i guess from your perspective and the time that you've been with visa which has been you know, a few years now what have you um what demonstrable examples could you share where you feel that data science has had a uh, you know, direct correlation, direct positive impact on the experience of a of a customer for Visa, for instance. Have you got any kind of examples or any projects that you uh, you, you found particularly interesting?
1: I think um, overall, for example, one of the best applications that we have of um, really complex data science is in our fraud detection uh, algorithms. So overall. The, the fact of not getting your car rejected when you want to buy something and understanding all those patterns and at the same time obviously always the always identifying fraud um is is such an enriching experience because I remember when I came to the UK, I had been here for about four months or something. And I got I got my car from HSBC and then two weeks later or something it it had gone cloned in one of the cash machines in Canayworth. So someone right. used like I think it was like more than 2000 pounds uh worth of you know in the car phone warehouse to buy phones. Oh, good. Uh, so they told me oh you know we're going to give you the money back that's fine we we know it was a fraud and I'm like okay and so when is that going to happen? And I was like oh we need to reissue your card so you can pick it up at the at the branch in a week um and and then in a in a matter of 2 weeks we'll return your money and I was like you don't and they told me oh do you have a credit card or something with like the moment I'm I'm a student, I came here four months ago. Uh, so I spend, you know, the next three weeks using my card from from back home and paying the international fees on that. Um and, and having because back home I would have to call my bank to tell them, oh, you know, I want to make this transaction, please don't mark it as fraud because I'm outside the country and stuff like this. So obviously that that was a, a negative experience overall that could have been avoided if mm. let's say it was detected. Um Early on, but it, the the whole process has come leaps and bounds, really. Mm. Uh, if you think about it, when was the last time your card got rejected for no reason uh, at all? or when was the last time you got a a fraudulent transaction just popping up in your card uh, for no reason, especially now when where we go a lot into into e-commerce, and that has a, <clears throat> also been one of the main um, points of of development for companies like Visa. You know, making the whole e-commerce um, environment more friendly and making it easier to for integration. Um, nowadays, it's not. You know, you expect every company to have an online page where you can buy and pay um, and pay them in advance. You wouldn't just order something from a place that then tells you, "Oh, you need to pay cash when to the delivery guy." Mm. Uh, so, so all all of those integrations and seeing how how you can move the ecosystem going forward. Is, is what it's really about at this point, because overall, the, the payments themselves is a very mature product now, uh, and it's about enhancing it with external things. As I mentioned, with paying contactless, with fraud detection, um, and obviously also allowing you to, to pay with, for example, internet of things in multiple different um, places, you know being able to, to pay in the... Um, vending machines for example i i for my life never carry never carry coins never carry cash and that was always one of my pimples when i see a vending machine sometimes if i'm partying or something at night not so much anymore um (laughs) but but back then i was like i have no cash and when i came here for example i i started seeing oh you know they're moving a lot of the vending machines to to the ones that have their own pos and you can pay contactless uh, and, and all of those changes just brings everything into the ecosystem. And mm-hmm. you see you see other companies um, doing that. For example, one of the best things or, or the strong points about Apple, for example, is that you get an Apple product and it connects to all the other Apple products. You know, mm-hmm. if you have a Mac and you have an iPhone and you have Alexa in your home, uh, then you, from, from those three, you could start um, controlling the lights in your house, uh, your speakers, your TV everything could be controlled in the same ecosystem Mm -hmm. at one at any point. Now, if you're already in that place and you decide to buy a TV and it says, oh, you know, not compatible with Alexa, not compatible with Mac, you're not going to buy it because overall the whole experience has already involved you. Uh, and you want to just add into that one rather than move on. It Mm -hmm. it becomes like, as if they were to tell you, are you willing to move to another place for, for this role? the offer has to be really good for you to decide I'll just, I'm just going to uproot my life. Yeah. I'm going to go and look for a new flat. I'm going to go look for, you know, new friends, new places that I like and so on. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you're right. mean, to talk about Apple, I mean, they, uh, I was reading a book on it relatively recently. They are just absolute masters of maximizing customer value in so far as like you say, once you have one Apple, I mean, I, I wouldn't call myself an Apple fanboy necessarily. Um, I, how, i've got a macbook uh a couple of years ago when i started true north and i'd never go back to a pc now i'd absolutely love it in fairness but i wouldn't i wouldn't say i was i profess to be an out and out apple fan but then i look actually at how many apple products I, I own you don't even realize i've got like seven or eight different apple products so you know they are they're uh, masters of of uh you know making it frictionless aren't they really it's kind yeah. of seamless and uh I guess that's going back to the point that you were making earlier on about, you know, certainly with payments and anything to do with money, it really what you appreciate is a frictionless kind of um, smooth process, don't you? Yeah. Purely for customer convenience, because whenever you have anything, I think anything happens from a military perspective, we have any problems with money is one of the most frustrating things to resolve, isn't it? Cause it's your money at the end of the day. And, you know, it's obviously a very highly emotive thing. And often you need that money for other purposes and like you said when you have that kind of situation that you've just outlined there where you're a a victim of card fraud it must be the most frustrating thing so any processes you can have to improve on on customer experience and uh, just make things as convenient as possible for people and as stress-free as possible from a money point of view um, absolutely I can fully see the value in that Um, so Where do you see then, because data science obviously is this huge umbrella, isn't it? It sits across, you know, so many different technologies, disciplines, techniques. And um, I guess we we sort of see three main pillars that sit under data science as you've got the analytics and insight element of things. Um, You know, you've got maybe more of the data engineering um, side of things and actually, preparation of data and, and and data pipelines and all that kind of stuff but then you've got more of the actual statistical modeling machine learning algorithmic um, uh, development and um, where do you see in terms of your experience within visa the, the kind of greatest wins have have taken place in in terms of how data science has been applied has it just been better analytics understanding the data better has it been quite a big push and in advance in, in machine learning in terms of how that's kind of um, improved on customer experience. Um, what, what are you actually sort of seeing as the, as the trends as to where the big wins are, are taking place for Visa?
1: Yeah, I, I would say that, you know, it goes across all aspects because in, in one sense, thinking first of the data engineering part, yes, making things easier for data science and data analysts to work is a key part. Because obviously you don't want them to go through leaps and bounds to get to get to data and to visualize it and to work with it. That that is one of the main things. And there has been a huge progress over the, the last few years at Visa to make sure that we have the latest um text tech, tech stacks and that we have the best environment to work with data. That has definitely been improving a lot. Um which often is, you know, companies that are so big these they stagger they can just decide and oh you know there's a new technology let's migrate next month or whenever the contract finishes it, it's not as easy as that it's not just something that you can just open the side so those changes had luckily in in my time being coming um and i think then it's data analytics is something that we have done for a long time uh in general you know thinking in in business and it's often now l- on the value because of data science and i think it's not really it's, it shouldn't really be the case i the way i see it it's like digging and yes you might think oh you know the gold the, the real valuable thing is 10 meters on the ground and yeah that might be true you know at the beginning you might just find little pebbles and and just all the things but in order to get to the goal you have to do all you have to take all the ground from above first you can you can't just you know dig. Teleport yourself into the goal and bringing up. Um, so it is a job about understanding your data, really understanding where you are, where you are standing, uh, in order to go to go beyond. So often we look at it. You know, you can do descriptive analysis, uh, and then from from that, looking on, the, on all that descriptive, you can get your clear picture. This is where we are. This is from this we can start planning a strategy. This is our now. Where do we want to take it further? Uh, and then you come into predictive. You know, okay, now we understand. Now we want to start predicting. Is this going to happen this way, uh, or we'll start pushing it that way? Once you're really good at predicting, once you start trusting yourself in that sense, uh, then you can start being prescriptive, really. And that is more of, oh, well, you know, you haven't asked me this, but the data shows that you know we should start looking at. You should start looking at this. Customers are are starting to do this. They're not asking you yet but they are finding ways of of going of going into this. You could say that, for, for example, um, one of the things right now is, for example, uh, everyone used to buy weekly or monthly or so on, um, tickets for the, either the tube or trains if you commute from outside of London to London. And obviously now everyone's thinking, you know, it used to be worth it because if I do five travels a, a, a week Uh, back and forth, 10 total a week, then I would rather buy the monthly pass than pay on on every trip because I have to go to the office. But what happens if you only go to the office three times a week? Then it's not worth it. You're not getting the most out of the monthly pass, but still paying daily is still going to be very expensive. Um, So there is where you could start saying, oh, you know what, maybe what we should do is start creating new packages. What would work best? based on what we can already know and we have already predicted from before because we know how customers behave from before can we use that basic information with what we know from what's going to happen in the future to try to make that um that change before it is needed really
0: yeah absolutely yeah it's uh, it's really interesting you say it. it's it's not sort of a one approach one or one trip pony in terms of how the approach works and it is it's really a symbiotic relationship between all those three things that they all enable the other i guess which is which is a very good uh a very good point but um yeah it must be fascinating in the world of because it's um it's humans we often think that we are this kind of you know godlike uh organism that where we can't be we can't be predicted our behavior can't be predicted you know because we're all individuals and you know we'll all but i uh i actually um had um sort of i can't remember um where it was now but got like a model which kind of just analyzed my my spending activity um on a monthly basis of my current account and it's unbelievable how predictable i actually was and how we are as humans in terms of our, our spending patterns and you know, just times of the month what we spend on and all that kind of thing and it's uh it must be some really big insights that you can actually glean from uh like say, once you can really trust the data's right. Um, they, you you were saying um, in our first conversation that there's still a lot of data that within, you know, companies like Visa where there's a lot of data that's still, you're yet to kind of get that unification, you know, so for instance, you might have a customer that's got two cards, for instance, but actually we don't know that they belong necessarily to the same person and, and that kind of thing. So do you feel that there's... Um, you know kind of a a big area or the next sort of step in terms of where data um how, how it can involve things for visa in terms of kind of what that next um that next level of uh, uh like i say prescription could be
1: um yes and no so i uh, i think we have reached with data science thinking especially so in general all the data science techniques that we do are are not new you know y- you probably will find people from working in the 50s and 60s more in terms of research that have worked into all of this and even before that and they were really the pioneers into discovering that you could based on following a, a strict procedure make assumptions or make predictions based on data what all that they didn't have was the technology needed they didn't have the computing power to do it um, and now we're doing it and obviously that has generated a lot of solutions that didn't need to exist and that is the whole boom Uh, from data science. Mm. And then we went into a process of, I think I didn't experience it for my age, but when the internet really boomed and everyone was creating stuff in the internet and then the whole .net crash happened. um, And it's not that the internet died off. and, And I would say that right now, you know, overall web solutions and how we connect is higher than ever. So it, it was more, I think, along with data science as well, understanding it's, it's not a one-trick dose at all, and it's not something that you can just do anything you want with it or that should do anything you want with it. So one of the reasons, for example, that there's no way for us to know two cards uh, belong to the same person is along with the privacy uh, and, and ethics that Tavisa follows under a strict guideline. Mm. And it, it goes into as well, as you mentioned, if you know everything about a person it's easy to predict how how they behave overall humans we we thrive in um in routine whether we like it or not the, the pandemic has showed that things that, w- that we thought oh you know i don't really like the commute i don't once they're completely taken away uh, you you miss them mm. and obviously it is once we realize that we have no other option than then us right now you think oh you know i i want my freedom i want i want all of the things that i used to be able to do and then when you think back even i live near a lot of the, a lot of parks here in london i didn't used to go to all of those parks as much as i do now so it's a lie that that having that freedom allowed me to do it i i do it now um and it is a lot about we fo- we put ourselves in routines it, because it's the easy thing for us to do so it's a lot of whether we should we should be going into that, and should data science go into that? Uh, and the other thing is understanding there's a lot of value in there's often a lot of value put into what we can know about an individual, but from the statistics and from where data science usually gets its most value from, it's from the aggregation, really. So the the way of, for example if if you tell me can if you give me every information about you uh, to train a model. Or if I rather know a little bit from every person in the UK, I'd rather know a little bit from every person in the UK. Mm. And then I can predict a specific thing, yes, apply to you or to any individual. Uh, And it's because in general, we behave in very similar ways. So we behave in in a specific distribution, you know. Um, So in a lot of the examples is, for example, trying to predict someone's height based on a lot of things. If I know everything about you, I'm not likely going to guess your height. If that's the only thing I don't know, if I know the height of everyone in the UK and maybe their age, I'm very likely to get it right. Mm. Because you're most likely to be about average height. You know, you might get, oh, you know, we got this wrong because actually this person is in the world record Guinness for being the shortest man in the in the world, uh, or the or the tallest. Um, but overall, it's about again, it's a it's a numbers game, you know. As long as you can get the the largest mass and get it right for them, then that's what you want, uh, and that's why learning from learning from the volume of data that, that we have or that other companies have is is the key factor, really. Um, one of the I would say one of the key things that companies have begun understanding is, it's not the same to say, oh, you know, I I do gather data and you can start doing data science on it. A lot of companies say things started that way, and once people came in and themselves, without you know having that prior experience, I think it's not the same to say, you know, this library has a lot of information, and you can, you know, all the books are indexed and everything is in there, and you can go to here and you can easily. There's a system to finding the book they want. That is not the same. That telling you, oh, you know, there's a warehouse with books, it's very big. We we get them once a week and we just throw them in there, and when it gets full, we just use a bulldozer to push them forward to the back so we can throw the new ones in. Mm. Uh, and and it's that you know when if when you work when you walk into that warehouse, it's like yeah, I'm sure there's a lot here that we can use. You have any idea how long it's gonna take me to find the book I want? It it might be never really, mm. because it the quality of what comes in, it's, it's going to be the quality that comes out. And that is also something that we must understand as well for bias. Uh, not right now. I think we live in a time that it's finally recognizing that there's a lot of biases that, that we live in a bias world. Mm. We don't live in a fair world for everyone uh, in, in any sense of the world. No. Um, society is shaped in, based on really old systems of society. Um, That have led it to be that way, and it's something that you have to understand from the data. um, That because it because the data has so far has shown that something is true, doesn't mean that it should be true, Mm. or or that is in fact correct.
0: Yeah, Mm, absolutely. How do you um how do you allow for bias in yeah? Have you got any kind of demonstrable practical examples of uh, yeah from in, in your kind of previous projects in terms of um making sure that, uh, yeah, that bias has been allowed for.
1: So, thinking back, I've, I've never worked with extremely sensible data in that sense, but just thinking situations that had happened, for example, um, you know, algorithms that have been tried to be developed to determine whether someone's guilty or not. Uh and turns out algorithms perform great in that sense. But then you look at what data they use, and if you remove race from the algorithm, the algorithm performs much, much poorly. And then you think, really, is, is race important to defining whether someone's guilty of a crime? Why is it more important than all the other factors? Mm. That is what is shown in the data, but that is obviously not true. Um, what we have, for example, previously in working countries like mine, um, or working in multiple countries in Latin America, it's understanding the, the cultural differences that we have and how we purchase. Um, and that is something that, that we often have to, to take into account because um, the purchasing power is different. Same happens for Visa. For example, if, if I wanna identify, you know, who are the, the high spenders in, in our data? If I just take that across Europe, I'm I'm likely going to end with a lot of people from Monaco, a lot of people in Switzerland, a lot of people in London, but is it is it true? Could it be that I have some people, for example, in, in other areas, in other countries, that for their region, they're actually spending a lot of money, and I should still be targeting them with premium products because they do buy them. It's just the fact that they are cheaper in their countries. Yeah. Like if you ask me, for example, in, in my country, minimal salary is about 220 pounds. So if, you, if you're making a thousand pounds and you just sell it somewhere in my country, that's a lot of money.
0: Mm.
1: And instead here, you might think, oh, wow, living on a thousand pound salary a month in London, you really have to make ends meet. So it, it's understanding all those differences that are underlying in the data and be able to identify them. And also to to catch them in yourself, other um, algorithms that you see and and you can test that, and it's incredible how deep it is in products that we use every day. Uh, I think it was in Thai. They don't have um, genders for their pro- personal pronouns, so you know, he, for example, he drives and she drives is written exactly the same. And if you put into an into Google Translate, just that he or she and verbs. It's very interesting how it translates them. He drives, she cooks. He leads, she cleans, and, and stuff like this, you know. And, and you think, how how come this thing just has has been putting by gender according to the verb? Mm. Um, and and it's probably because it reads. It's probably trained on a lot of books. It's probably trained on a lot of official translations. And yes, if you if you look historically in books. The person cleaning is probably a woman but that doesn't mean it is true that doesn't mean it is now
0: mm. yeah that's a great point actually yeah it's uh it's so true isn't it how the, the this the, the the previous history and the structures that we have must still inform a lot of how things are predicted moving forward But like i say it doesn't mean it it should it doesn't mean it's right and uh yeah it's um it's interesting isn't it so that that Kind of uh, argument sits within when you talk about AI and what is intelligence, and you know, intelligence really is allowing for, uh, you know, it's land for context, isn't it? Really, because you've obviously got, yeah, uh, you know, we've got computational power now, where from from that singular aspect, our right, computers and and software, it's it is more intelligent than humans in terms of processing power and how how it can utilise data to spot connections, but like you said, without taking the context into a situation, like say between country to country and culture to culture, um, there isn't really a huge amount of intelligence there, if that makes sense. There's, um, there's, there's, there's black and white, cold, hard facts, but it doesn't really infer much real world useful meaning. Does it? Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, really interesting to know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the bias element of things, it's obviously something that I think a lot of people aren't aware of, you know, you kind of just, uh, Born into a world where you don 't necessarily recognize it all the time, but um I suppose most recently it's one of those things where the bad algorithm has uh, has, has reared its head, um, just thinking back to how the exam results were um, declared in the u k during coronavirus you know off the back of of the back of an algorithm and how you know that was basically exactly the situation you're mentioning isn 't it in terms of uh, school performance and um geographical location and that kind of thing and just how this algorithm essentially was was, you know, sending some kids down the river purely on the basis of um you yeah. know where they live pretty much. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh I think that's kind of for the for the first time with a lot of people probably raised raised the question of uh, you know, bias in a in a very obvious way. Um, yeah, so um yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, interesting place, but uh, I guess on that note, I mean, just uh, in closing question, what what are you what are you most excited about now in, in the landscape of AI, and machine learning, and, and data science? Where do you feel uh, kind of most passionate, and uh, some really exciting stuff kind of uh, yet to happen?
1: I, I think a lot about it is is really down to to the kind of tools that we can use and how we can explain so for example for for quite some time we had the issue that if you want to do the most complex algorithm that you could if you want to get exactly the best result possible neural networks you know in, and i'm sure it's a buzzword that you have you le- heard over oh, deep learning and neural networks and and they're they're definitely useful and for the most kind of the the most complex kind of algorithms they they define really what is Pushing forward the the bar into how much we can be accurate. And it's understandable if you want an algorithm that identifies types of birds based on examples. Yes, that w- that will deliver the best the best possible performance. But it's also to understand we cannot rely on just neural networks because they're a black box. Yes, I don't care how the algorithm knows whether you know this is an eagle and this is a hawk. I don't care about that but would you say that it's okay for an algorithm that you cannot possibly explain uh, in in rational terms to have determined the, the school grades? Would you think that, you know, the Ministry of Education could have come and said, oh, you know, that's what the algorithm says. I don't know why, it just does. Take it. That would have not been possible. And nowadays, because of the new technologies that we have and how we process with GPUs, for example, uh, we can use other type of models that are still interpretable, that are n- not nearly as performance efficient uh, as our neural networks, but that because of the technology that we have now and the capabilities, we can still use them. You know, you don't have to to go into that dark magic sort of. You can still, you know, use explainable things that you can show people, um, and you can be very. I think very transparent about it we we have gone past the point where people are just willing to accept that technology uh, and technology technological advancements work in ways that they just don't understand i think there's a lot more awareness there's a lot more you know for example now people are more aware of oh, what is this company going to use my data for well whenever you install an app on your phone you're more aware of Oh, why it doesn't want access to my contacts? If this is, I don't know, a game, for example, or something, why is it doing that? Mm. People will not just take uh, the benefit without thinking back into it, uh, and that is that is a a, a healthy thing thing to to be concerned, genuinely, and to want information and transparency on why things happen. Uh, I think, for example, we would all love more transparency in a lot of things, like. How is the government run? Where are government decisions made? Um in, into all into all aspects. Now more than ever, where you know information and news are in everyone's pocket, then it, it is important to to have that. We cannot just go go into things that we don't understand, that we just just because we like the outcome.
0: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. It's true i think it's a great point around it data is you know it is a very emotive topic now isn't it it's a very emotive word to people and uh it is very prevalent in today's state society i mean you literally every time you turn on the tv that someone's always talking about data and obviously you've got the uh this uh this equation i'm sure everybody's aware of now about how every year that passes you know the, the amount of data being written per year is more than the rest of history from the, the year previous you know and it's just the exponential rate of how data is being amassed is just absolutely mind-boggling, and I think people are aware that there is a real, a real power in data. Um, but with that, you know, it's I think people are starting to wake up to the uh, looking for ratified sources of truth, like you say, and not just expecting or, or accepting, um, you know, what what the data says. And uh, I was having a conversation with Murder Half the other night about. Um, talking about you know kind of ai and and um we're talking about deep fakes actually and how you know just it, that whole concept scares the living hell out of me um because the you know f- you think about fake news and you know how how it's
1: literally an easy way of making fake news yeah
0: yeah yeah how misappropriation happens off the back of uh, fake news and uh, you know just how how dangerous it can be where you know because we're as humans like say seeing is believing and you know often if we see something we, we kind of believe it's true and in a in a deep fake situation you know, there has to be a way of policing it because otherwise it's just gonna be absolutely out of control. Oh, yeah, uh, you world know, world wars could start overnight, couldn't they?
1: Um, yeah and, and it's incredible the amount of links that you have to go. I think at some point it happened when when nobody knew what Photoshop was, for example. And you know very poor, even very poorly altered images were passed as, oh, you know, that has to be true because there's a picture of it. How else would you have a picture of it? Um, and it's happening now. And yes, for example, you mentioned fakes. Recently, I've been reading a lot of articles of misuses that there have already been of deepfakes uh, of people using it for blackmail. You know, this is obviously at more personal levels and more individuals in society. Uh, but for the same reason, multiple companies, I think IBM is one of the more forefronts um, already have an algorithm to analyze uh, whether something is a fake or not and it's incredible the level of detail that it has to go so it says that it analyzes the the reflection of light uh, in your eyes so if someone were to use your face in another video they analyze if the reflection of light in your eyes matches how the lighting on the rest of the video is and then you think i can't even tell that i'm i'm not no it 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 will probably take an expert in photography to be like oh you know yeah, his face doesn't look like it really matches the overall lighting because it's coming from like.
0: but i mean the flip side of that is if there's an algorithm that can detect that how it knows it's not a deep fake then in the same way someone's going to be working on a program to make sure that the the light reflects in the right way aren't they it becomes a chicken and egg situation but um but in a way, I mean, unless you've got access to the algorithm, the majority of people are just going to take it as verbatim, aren't they? You know, cause we are all like you know, tuned into our mobiles and we, we see videos all, all the time online and yeah, often and you just, you know, you wouldn't even think to even question if it was a deep fate, would you? You just kind of go with it, yeah. I guess. And, and,
1: uh, and, and it's, a it's about, I think, being more inclusive. Uh, and I think that's why the whole movement, for example, with ethical hacking has become a thing. You would think that overall hacking is a crime. Um, that's why now you have ethical hacking because they're encouraging these people to come forward or to accept them coming forward there are multiple instances for example of security breaches or uh hackings of multiple devices like playstations and so on uh where the people that originally developed it they have come to sony or companies with a similar saying hey i detected that you know just me and my friend we were able to hack your system and make it play games for free or similar stuff. So this is a security breach for you actually. So we are here, it's documented and we're giving it to you. And companies previously, they didn't care. And you know, so this guy just tells, you know, they did it out of their goodness of the heart and just with pure curiosity and told the company, but then you tell the next guy, he's like, I'm gonna get money out of this. Mm. Um and and that's just it. So you have to you have to embrace that that community uh com- community value. And it has shaped a lot, for example, on how we now work uh with open source technologies. And and you see it. I I work at companies where I remember one company was moving into open source solutions uh rather than you know monolithic ERPs uh that cost millions. And and you would tell them and you he would get into um very heated argument saying i think it's let's say not smart to think that a bunch of developers around the world are going to do something better than what the company has been paying a million pounds a month to get Uh, and you know and and from his logic you can understand it Uh, a multi-million dollar company based everywhere in the world with clients among a portfolio of the biggest companies in the world and then you tell someone oh you know there's something free that's actually kind of better it it does the same but it's much lighter and it was totally free they're, they're gonna think that's crazy because good things are not free uh but really in in terms of development in terms of technology um the whole community really pushes things forward in in a way that's unimaginable and again comes into you know the best companies might have a hundred developers working really hard into making the best product but the community has millions working out on their free time and out of their curiosity exploring with no deadlines uh with no you know cares for roi is this is this a project that's gonna deliver money so i should invest time on it i know and that is how a technologies like r and python have evolved so much into having multiple libraries that do so much of the things mm. um there's a lot of the work that has been done for, for other data scientists and and it's our job also to give that back as well. You know, if, if you do something that's really useful and you think, Oh, you know, I wish that this had already been uh, something out that I could take out of the bag and, and just start using, it, and then you put it out for everyone.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's one of the things I've been most uh, impressed about and the, the force of the open source community and um, yeah, because my, Really, pretty much the majority of my career, kind of the last sort of ten years before I started True North, was focused mainly around the Microsoft domain, yeah, so and so C sharp and 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 the difference, yeah, you yeah. Kind of when when I established True North, obviously I couldn't work with any of the clients I'd worked with previously. So I kind of evaluated the whole of the tech landscape and thought, okay, well, where's the most interesting place to kind of set up shop and and kind of landed wholeheartedly on. Uh, data science and and software engineering and the, the kind of core thread that ran throughout both of those for, was was mainly Python as the kind of primary programming language and it's just been incredible uh, yeah, on that journey to see how Python's like meteoric rise yeah, to success over the last few years um, and I think largely like I said it is down to this this sort of movement now and the, the open source community which just seems to be exponentially um, expanding and getting behind tools and uh, building out some incredible technology uh, makes it a really exciting place isn't it um, so uh, yeah well um well it's absolutely fantastic speaking to today guys really enjoyed the chat and definitely got the uh the, the, the hamster turning in the wheel for me and thinking about some really interesting stuff so thank you uh you know thank you very much for being with us here today and uh Look forward to, to keeping in touch and uh, seeing you move on to even bigger and, and better great things in your your, um, your pursuits at Visa.
1: Thank you. Thank you
0: again. Take care and have a great weekend.
1: Same to you. Cheers. Okay.